Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, and I think this episode's going to suck. Nice. Well, we're really doing a great job selling the podcast lately. Last week we came out, oh, maybe it was two weeks ago, where we declared ourselves low energy before we started, and now you have gone on record saying this podcast will suck. Uh, new year, new us, Brian, you I see. I so, yeah. And I look, low energy, I think, is fine. Perhaps we are overestimating the amount of energy that we typically have. It didn't seem like it made that big of a difference whatsoever, right? It's just we're saying stuff. Who cares? Do you know why? It's because we are we are a naturally dynamic duo and our existence, our very being pulls energy forth from one another. That's why we did not actually I, I don't think we actually committed to the low energy show. I think we showed up with low energy and then our natural I don't, I don't even know what to call it. Natural magnetic resonance just pulled us through. And then I had to take a nap. Yes. I was sleepy because you took all my energy. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what it is. We're both just energy vampires. Energy vampires. Yeah, very possible. Uh, uh, I, I know you don't like anything funny, but uh, that was that was a nice what we do in the shadows reference. Mm, yeah, I have seen that show. I blame Todd Anderson. It's, it's very good. I'm sure you hate it. Like, I understand that it's a good version of a thing, but it doesn't mean that I have to like it. You know what no, I mean? No, you're, you're right. It does not. So last week, I, I think we kind of blew it. We just, we spent so much time on one topic. I mean, I guess it was a lot of It was topics. like a hundred topics. <laughs> what are you talking about? And I don't know. It's funny. It's like, that's, that's one of the shows that you talk about how people message you various things all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. People don't really message me anything, which I'm, I'm fine with honestly, but like last week's show, I had people coming out of the woodwork. Like, Hey, I listened to this thing. I got a lot of thoughts or whatever, you know? And yeah, there there was a lot of response to that show. I think some people tried to get us jobs with wizards of the coast, which like, you know, shoot your shot, but that's not going to happen. So yeah, did, did we also not mention, I guess that was maybe the week before, we're just like, we're, at least me, they don't like me very much, you know? Just in case that's not clear, it's like, hey, hire this person that you hate or whatever. It's like, that's, it's probably not going to happen. I'm just throwing that out there, you know? No, I don't think so. And if they do dislike me or, you know, dislike hearing about me, then also like bringing my name up to them is probably not the best idea, but you know, whatever it's fine. Yeah. I always, I always feel like, I, I mean, this person, I'm, I don't, they were just trying to do like a nice thing. So no, I know I know not, nothing against them, but I, I always am like, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's probably not, pretty uncomfortable for the social media manager has to read that. It's, it's not going to work, but we appreciate the effort. Anyway, looking over all these deck lists and I mean, it's, it's fine. There's some stuff, and I guess in theory, I could have picked out like three individual decks to talk about or something, but they all showed up in different places and it's kind of weird and I don't know, whatever. So I, I still like the idea of doing a league or doing a challenge or something, something that's like a little bit more cohesive than just yeah, coherent narrative. I, I agree with you. I, I do think even if you miss some of the more exciting stuff, like say insect tribal, then you, you still are telling a better story of the format in general, which I think is the core of our job. So, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, if that stuff doesn't show up in this narrative, then we're not telling the entire story. Mm, I am comfortable that the eventual narrative of modern will not involve insect tribal. Now, if you do want to know more about insect tribal, it showed up in the top eight of not the challenge we're going to be talking about. Do you do you have kind of like the quick the quick rundown, Gerald? The big hitters that make up insect tribal, grist, ether vial, chalice, and a bunch of really crappy creatures, including hex parasite, haywire mite, blex vexing pest, crawl harpooner. Uh, yeah, some insects. Just Some insects. general run-of-the-mill insects. Yeah, run-of-the-mill with Grist, right? Yeah, good. Nice. Uh, yeah, this is just kind of like the ether vial thing that used to happen a lot in modern, I think, and doesn't really happen so much anymore, but just like somebody will put some cards in ether vial together, and like that is a very powerful combination, and 
that's just good enough sometimes. And the creatures plus ether vial is going to steal some events. And I, I think that's most of what went on here with insect tribal, but you know, maybe we'll be back in a month talking about how insect tribal has taken over modern and we all need a plan for it. I doubt that, but we'll see. But yeah, this, this challenge, uh, I don't know. It also feels kind of weird to cover this one because it took place last year, but you know, it's not that, that long ago. Yeah, that feels like the you know, the standard New Year's Day joke where like, oh, I haven't showered since last year and it's it's only five days ago. It'll be okay. So this is our usual time frame. Yeah. My my thoughts on modern are basically that the indomitable creativity, archonic cruelty stuff was looking really good. And it got to a point after what's the the enchantment tormenting voice haste card. Uh, I don't remember its name, but I, you know, I like that card. So let's talk more about it. I forget its name too, because it, it always makes me think like I see it in a deck list every single time without fail. It makes me think of something else. And now I can't remember its name and it's not in the top eight of any of these decks. It's not, it's not, it's not in the list here. Cause, cause the creativity deck is just the, the old school kind of like blue reddish version or whatever. Anyway, there's this card. That's like a tormenting voice enchantment that gives you stuff haste pretty good if you want to backdoor reanimate your Archon of Cruelties that you draw just end up playing some Persists. I know a lot of the creativity decks were already just kind of like weaving in one Persist. Yep. And they got to a point where it was like, oh, we can just do like reanimator stuff now too because the haste thing is super powerful with like all aspects of, of what the deck is doing. And yeah, when you you brought up the card, it's just like, oh yeah, you have this source of haste lying around. Like, you know, what what could you use this for? At the time, I couldn't think of a way where that would be beneficial. But like, I I also broke Kaijudo with like a one mana spell that was just like give a thing haste. So it's like I I am a haste appreciator, but like I just couldn't see it in in this context. But yeah, if you put a couple Arcana cruelties in play, like having a haste thing lying around. Uh, Dude, that's that's a big swing. Like that is a huge, huge difference from the output of that card in terms of like situations where you sort of need to do a very, very you, you can't just establish your board. You actually need to prevent your opponent from winning on the next turn. A hasted Arcana of Cruelty is going to do that many, many times. Yeah, or at least, you know, put you out of range or make it so they don't have lethal or whatever. There's maybe just kill your opponent outright. You yep. know, there's there's a lot of a lot of different ways that that is going to lead to you winning the game. But that's uh, like cruel ultimatum, honestly. <laughs> like you're getting yeah. so much pay out there. Yeah. But yeah, it did, uh, just didn't show up in this challenge at all. I can't find a name in this card. Anyway, whatever. So the version of those decks that I like is basically now Jund because you want to do persist stuff. You want to do the uh like creativity stuff obviously and then they're playing ren and six and it's just like okay why wh- what, what do we need blue cards for right and i like that aspect a lot you also get the backdoor option of just like hard casting your archons at some point but like everyone in modern <laughs> just start playing like three ovars in their sideboard mm-hmm. and which is again like an awesome answer to archon of cruelty it's just like it, all the stuff is just like coming together it all makes sense and then I saw one of these lists in the league that was the same setup, but it was doing Primeval Titan Valakut with some rampy stuff too. Oh, and that in, instead of the Archon stuff. Correct. Okay. So you still have the enchantment to give haste. Yep. Titan is still pretty powerful. It's more, up. Ca- more castable than yep. Archon. So you have that thing going for you. And they still had like all the disruption and interaction, some spot removal, whatever. And then you're just not weak to Orvar. So I think that, you know, across the board, you're you're probably weaker, but you're not just getting hosed by this free sideboard card that you really don't have a whole lot of ways of dealing with. Like you can you can thought seize it or whatever, but like that's that's still not good for you. You know, if you're thought seizing it pretty early and they're just like making a land. Yeah. What I guess I'll try and give some like real relevance to this discussion for players who might be out there with, I don't, I don't know, a modern RCQ or something like that. Or I guess this would be the modern PPTQ, but we don't call it that. Whatever modern tournament you may have that you want to win. Do you think you actually, if you want to play 
indomitable creativity. Do you have to go as far as accounting for Orvar, or do you think that's just like the smart moto tech that you go ahead and put in because you expect a lot of players to be on this potentially best deck, you you know players are informed, or can you get away with just doing the default more powerful Archon plan and just hoping you catch your opponents unprepared? Like, what would you do? Because I, I think a lot of, like, what I do much, much worse than you is play against soft fields. I think you're very good against playing in a field where you know you are the better player. So yeah. say say you make the decision to play Archon of Cruelty or you make the decision to play Indomitable Creativity for whatever reason, do you personally want to account for Orvar in your list? It Yeah, it depends on what sort of tournament you're playing in. Like, if I was playing in, uh, like, the RC, right? Like, say this was before the RC in Atlanta or whatever, where mm-hmm. there are going to be like a lot of very good players and people who are tuned in. Like that is going to be the thing that defines the tournament is like the creativity decks and how prevalent they're going to be and how many people actually have Orvars and like what the plan is to beat that. And I think that that's going to be the main thing that people have to figure out. But if you're just playing like uh, a little ptq now when like modern is not super hyped up it's not super talked about or whatever i don't think it's necessarily something you have to account for all that much because you probably won't see much creativity and you probably won't see many people who are like super prepared for it so that's one of those things where i think that you can just like tone it down a bit and just be like look i'm gonna do the the thing that is the best and not worry about people being super prepared for me and then there's there's going to be like a person or two who are super prepared for you. And then it's like, yeah, you need to beat those people to, to win the event or whatever. But it's not like playing a challenge three weeks ago where just everyone had three copies in their sideboard. Right. Look at that. Good, practical, applicable advice to kick off the show. You said this is going to be a bad show. You may have already won someone their invite to the RC via this very pointed example. Yeah, I would I would just play the good deck and then try and have a plan for it, try and be prepared, but yeah, you know, like recognize that it's non-zero that that you're going to get dinged by it. But definitely don't do things like play Primeval Titan instead of Archon just to beat Orvar because it's not even going to come up a lot of the time and then your deck is just like less powerful as a whole. But it but yeah, but like playing in an RC or a Pro Tour or something, like that is that is a call that I might make or it's Maybe maybe there's some amount of like sideboarding that you can do, like some some plan like that. Maybe not siding into Primeval Titan. Maybe there's just something better you can do as a whole. But uh, it is it is definitely interesting. So I I like that. That is the thing that I would be thinking about if if I were playing modern and if I were trying to win a tournament is just what can I do to creativity. Uh, because I, I think it is just one of the best things you could be doing right now. But that said, Moto has kind of moved past that. Yeah, and Moto often a step ahead, so try not to get too bogged down in exactly what's going on with these results, but take away good conclusions from them. I think that's always the job you're trying to do when you're analyzing these individual events. Yep, so uh, first place deck, I think. This is the 1231 challenge, by the way. Correct. If you're looking for it over on uh, the now updated deck list page, there was a few days where it was not populating with new decks. Oh, no. I didn't know what to do with myself, but thankfully it has updated and reached back as well. So good fix there. Yeah, I like that. I don't, I don't mind if there's like a bug or whatever, as long as, yeah, things just get fixed and they're like, oh, yeah, here's all the old deck lists because we know that you care about these things. In general, the deck list page has been better lately, you know, more fulsome going back further. So big thumbs up there. They still have the like three ether vial, one ether vial thing going on, but whatever. Nothing's perfect, Gerald. No. And I'm, I'm sure some of the hyperlinks don't work as well because they weren't working uh, uh, last time we did a deck dump. But yeah, you know. that's Gatherer's fault. That's not the deck list page's fault. Baby steps. No, it's, it is kind of like the deck list fault because it's integrated into the like proprietary technology that wizard uses so you can't blame one without blaming the other but they're, they're still different anyway modern challenge 12 31 22 first place punt then wine amulets 60 cards 15 in the board i feel like i have to point that out uh every time we talk it's about important. amulet yeah and yeah 32 land for explorer pretty normal talking pre-cast 
Brian thinks he has almost this entire deck still in foil because there are no new cards here, really. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've gotten outmoded. I I purchased my endurances recently. I don't know if I got foil endurances. I would have to double check on that. But I think everything else here, I'm I'm just set. Like I was ready to go. I'd have to check if I have the foil swan songs. That being the disruption of choice here. What do you make of that? That that's a card that I think is like. At times underplayed, at times overplayed. It can be extremely, extremely powerful in the right metagame. And I think sometimes players take a little bit too long to get to it. But when you're talking about things like, uh, you know, indomitable creativity being the best thing you can do, Swanstone starts looking pretty good to me. Yeah, you do what you can, and Flusterstorm doesn't necessarily cut it. And Swansong handles like it's a little bit more versatile, but I will say my experience with Swan Song, especially out of these kind of like pseudo combo decks, is I just died of the bird. Died of the bird. <laughs> We've all died to the bird. If you've played any reasonable amount of Swan Song, you've died to the bird in very, very bizarre situations. Certainly in Legacy, I died to the bird yeah. many times. Uh, so I, I get it. There, there is a real downside, but I, I, I do think when it's the correctly pointed tool it is uniquely powerful and a card that people should probably look to more often than they do maybe i i just dude, i tied to the bird so much you have endurance though you can block the bird now is are there matchups where you want both of them i don't know i i haven't thought through that part of, of my snide remark but there's uh, only one yeah. endurance too i don't know man but i i think it is important because it does kind of display the fact that modern is sort of wide open it isn't just like oh there's only cascade we just jam flusterstorm that's the only thing we have to worry about right like there's there are multiple different angles of attack which people are very clearly utilizing right so it's like well i have to play this thing even if the stupid bird is going to kill me yeah sometimes you just have to take it on the chin, find the broadest possible tool for the job and that is the state of modern right now in my estimation Second place, the Watch Wanderer. We have an Archon of Cruelty deck. This one is four colors. No, five colors. Damn it. Um, I I really, really dislike these deck lists. Like, all right. So Leyline Binding off a Trium, I think, is reasonable enough. Mm-hmm. But then you just trick yourself into playing all these other cards because it's like, oh, I have access to all the Trium. It's free. It's free, Gerald. Why not? It's like your deck has four dwarven mines and 24 lands. So this this one is like, oh, we'll do some persist stuff. We'll cast Ren and Six. We'll play Teferi. Gotta have Teferi. I mean, Prismari Command, Spell Pier. Like, let's just let's play it all. And I think that that ends up just being too much. And additionally, the the game plans are just super fractured, especially with like the second copy of Persist. Like you're you're just trying to do a lot of different things and hope that it all comes together. And the more of that stuff you add, the more likely it is that you draw like a binding, a spell pierce, a persist and a Teferi or whatever. And you're just like, what the hell does my deck do? Yeah. Here's what I'll say about that. In 2013, 2014, 2015, maybe even like 2016 terms, something like this would really grind my gears. It's like, just pick a lane, be as focused as possible. When the cards are this powerful, you can get away with this a lot more than you used to be able to. And this is like one of the things that I've actually been training myself to accept more readily. Because just like you, my ire is up as soon as I see a deck list like this. And I put together those possible starting hands and just how unfocused, how unclear their goals are. It It's painful. But where you have a card of the power level like Ren and Six, where you have a card of the power level like Teferi... Those cards are capable of winning matchups on their own. You have some glue in the form of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I I wouldn't do it this way. I broadly agree with you. I do think building a deck like this is much more defensible than it used to be just going back a few years. That's all I want to say. I'm not saying that you should be as streamlined as possible. And I do think that one persist is probably fine, but there aren't even that many discard outlets to enable yeah. this which is why i think it's like oh yeah like one is okay right so you have you have fable and you have command which command into persist isn't even that efficient you know it's not like oh we're getting such a big upgrade by like enabling our reanimate here you know 
And like there are just legitimate mana concerns. You know, you you don't have domain on turn two every single game. And there are, again, also things just like Dwarven Mine, which (laughs) don't really help you cast a lot of your spells. And like some of the lists I've seen shave a Dwarven Mine, which I think is completely reasonable, right? Because then like you get another fetch land, another colored source, another dual land, however you want to spin it or whatever. Or you like go up to 25 land or something. All of those things are reasonable. It's just like, to me, I look at this and I see like a little bit too much, right? Where I think that you could trim down a few things, get it to be a little bit more consistent and still do all the powerful stuff that you want to do, but you're doing it more in moderation and maybe creating like less problems for yourself. That's all. It does feel like if you're going to take this approach to building this deck, you are very clearly supposed to have the card whose name we can't remember uh, as both an additional source of filtering and just like, you know, you've made the steps to do this persist stuff, like get paid as hard as possible on it. I, I think like two copies of that spell would make a lot of sense as far as glue holding this together. And then doing some of the trimming you're talking about makes me feel a little better, you know, go down to one persist, just like mize it every now and then maybe you only need one fire and ice and, and, tighten up the package a little bit, get a little bit more glue in there, and then I'm more comfortable with the way this is set up. Uh, I'm trying to Google this stupid card. (laughs) At some point, we have to figure out its name. Bitter Revelation. There you go. You got there, Gerald. I knew you could do it. Or Bitter Reunion. Bitter Reunion, sorry. Oh, you couldn't do it. So yeah, it's it's like kind of generic-y card name, and for whatever reason... I see like four bitter, whatever, four persist. I'm just like, what are they gravestorming? Like, what's going on here? Bitter uh, ordeals eighteen dollars, at no, least from at least from Walmart, which is a very bizarre sentence to have just <laughs> uttered. I can I can order one bitter ordeal from Walmart. They're selling magic singles. I, that's what this says. Okay, I'm off it. I'm off it. Sold and shipped by Toy Wiz. Uh, okay. That makes more sense. It does. It's. I mean, it's still weird, but. So Walmart is doing the Amazon. Storefront. Marketplace. Yeah, so, storefront. Okay. Whatever. Uh, third place, Shadows 2005. Is it Murktide? One dress down as the spice. Eight one drops, two ledger shredders, three Murktides, one brazen borrower. The Iconoclasts have not, I don't know, just become like stock at this point, which I think is reasonable. I was questioning those for sure. Uh, they do still show up in like the prowess list with like Bobble and Underworld yep. Breach. So that is that has been a thing that that remains a constant. But this Murktide list, I don't know, pretty, pretty normal, pretty stock. I like there's two season pyromancers in the sideboard, and I like those a lot. When when I was playing Shadow, uh, that that just seemed like the best grindy sideboard option to me, and sometimes the Murktide decks would turn to something like Jace or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just really fragile uh whereas pyromancer just gets the job done every time and you know plays well offensively defensively or whatever so uh i like that a lot always accomplishing something that is for sure uh the iconoclast feedback is interesting i know a lot of folks getting much lower on ledger shredder these days i I think that card stock has dropped a bit so i've seen people express a preference for something like iconoclast in that slot but this just looks like a an old school take as much as an, a Murktide deck can be old school, we're only you know a little bit into its lifespan. But this is basically playing it straight up, relying on the power of these cards, and getting to play good old fashioned. Is it stuff? Yeah, I I know that a lot of the Shredder dislike mostly came from the Breach decks, mm-hmm. like the the Breach deck players, I suppose. And I I get it because. It's not this thing that always works, basically. And even when it is working, it's not necessarily fixing your problems. But it's still just like really good at what it does. And when it all comes together, it's just I think I think people are expecting it to be like, you know, Ragavan levels of solid and good all the time. And it's just not going to be, which is why when people were just like jamming for I was like, wait, what? I don't, I don't understand. Like, I, it doesn't feel like a four of card, right? But like, you see these lists with like two. I like that a lot. I think that it is 
kind of glue. It does sort of solidify your draws. You do sort of have like the nut draw still with Ledger Shredder and the Bobble on two. Yep. Yeah, great just, ceiling. It's it's got a great ceiling. Yeah, so it, it feels like a card that you want to draw one of per game, and it does just sort of like smooth out your deck, kind of in the same way that iteration does. Obviously, iteration, you know, much better at doing that. But like, you want to have more of those effects, not necessarily fewer. And I think Archmage's Charm was kind of the card that people were using to do that before, and this list just doesn't have any, which I think is fine because that card was pretty clunky. Three is a lot, and present state of modern I'm, I'm not sure you could talk me into that at this moment i sort of feel the same way about the card counter spell and that is here and present and obviously an important part of the format so what do i know counter spell also a little clunky certainly matchup dependent and can just feel uncastable when you're on the draw in a lot of yep. instances yeah and I've, I've just like felt that way for a very long time too even even in like cobblade i never played like four mana leaks I mean, I'm sure if you want to go digging, you could probably find a list where I did play four, but that was probably like height of Primeval Titan or something. Sure. Um, you yeah. you would prefer not to be in that boat, basically. Right. So I I get it, but at the same time, I mean, like we're we're playing Swan Song, right? It's like modern it's reason is, for that. Yeah, modern is like very broad. You need a versatile answer. Counterspell is that. It's definitely not efficient, unfortunately. That's uh, the, the times we live in, but it 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 covers your bases against a bunch of stuff, and that's sort of what Murktide is good against. You know, you got. You got I, I guess I will say, something. I will say, as we move through like this top three or four decks thus far, average CMC of a modern deck has gone up quite a bit, and I I think the difference is that whereas like people would play three drops before, and that three drop was just like another card, now the three drops will kill you. In a lot of instances, like they'll they'll just be unbeatable, and that's how the power level has shifted. But there is more general. I will consider playing a three drop than just what are the best one and two mana spells, and that's all you could ever realistically afford to play. It's true, but at the same time, you know, we we talked about amulet and the creativity decks, right? Mm-hmm. Amulet can go like grazer into dryad, at which point, yeah, you have a counter spell, but if you hold that open, you're just going to fall massively behind, right? Very true. And then the creativity decks, if they run in six on the play, it's the same sort of situation where it's like, yeah, you can hold open counter spell as long as you want, but like they're just going to bury you, you know? So that's the problem with the card. Yeah, you kind of need some like some flashback up to it. And that's just not a not a real thing in these decks, yeah. short of Brazen Borrower. So, yeah. And even then, it's just like, ah, I'm. I'm doing this because there is some stuff that I need to get rid of, but this is, again, sort of like Counterspell, not an efficient way to do it, but it is versatile. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it never never comes to that. Anyway, fourth place, Demonic Tutors, playing some Yawgmoth, some Grist. Uh, this looks the exact same to me. I mean, like the sideboard changes occasionally, but even this is just like Thoughtseize, some Necromanches, some Endurances, some Force of Vigors. A lot of this is just the same. Yeah, this is like Demonic Tutor's deck. I know when I was learning this deck for whatever tournament I was learning it for, I looked a lot at Demonic Tutor's lists. They have been playing it forever, uh, continue to place very, very well. I would say more consistently than basically anyone else. And uh, unfortunately for our purposes of creating compelling podcasts, pretty stock. <laughs> There's not really a lot to say. Like this deck hasn't changed. You see stuff like the crime punishment in the sideboard. That's not particularly new it's come and gone before necromentia down there you know necromentia sucks but it's a useful tool when you need it i have no real takeaways here if you've seen this list before you're probably pretty familiar with what's going on here the cool thing about moto that happens sometimes is that it it just gives people an arena to perform mm-hmm. you know it's like you like magic you want to get really good you want to play in some tournaments you want to even given enough time like make a name for yourself like there there is definitely a lot of respect that i think rightfully gets given out to people who perform well consistently on magic online where it's like oh this person won back-to-back challenges or something you know or it's like they're in the top eight all the time right and it's like people start to recognize that like this is this is a very good player and then, yeah, I mean it's it's a global platform, right? Like you're right. you're taking on people from all over the place, and only the most devoted Magic players are still on Magic Online at this point. So you know there's always uh, intense competition, and look at you know where 
sort of the new swell of players have come from, it's Moto. Like more than anything else, it's it's not live play. It's it's Magic Online still producing the the new best players. And it's not Arena because what are you going to do? Like grind ladder every month and like that's how you you make your name? No, I mean it's the the shorter like one shot tournaments. I think that give you more of an opportunity to perform. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like tutors, tutors is one of those those people that I I don't know if this is like a new account for them or or what. But they were like relatively unknown to me. But now it's just like oh, they're just playing in all I mean, the modern challenges, yep. doing really well, streaming on Twitch. You know, like it. It's just awesome, and I I don't think that with arena that would have really been possible you know but like magic online for 20 plus years has given people kind of like this opportunity to do that and you've seen it happen and i think that's basically like where a lot of the moto twitch streamers came from you know just like they're just playing in these events and then we're just like oh let's stream them because i'm i'm actually pretty good at this you know and and they just become like a household name and uh, synonymous in this case with an archetype like Yawgmoth, I think this is just awesome. Don't make me sing the, the praises of Magic Online, Gerald. You know that if I were to rank my most important video games of the 2000s, Magic Online is easily in my top five. And that that's not even like from a Magic player lens. That is from actual all video games. It is so, so critical foundational to everything that has come since both for good and bad. It, it honestly, I think has a chance to claim the number one, most important game of this era. And I, I know that's wild, like in comparison to things like world of Warcraft and, you know, half-life is one that'll get brought up a lot, but you look at like just the economy and making something real out of nothing. Like there was, it was such a novel concept. Magic online has a lot of, to be proud of. And I, I, I sing its praises more now. I think it's sort of like my maturation and just becoming an old man is I'm able to look at Magic Online and be like, damn, that's actually something very, very impressive. Pros and cons to a lot of the stuff that you said. Economy is interesting and I'm that, that could be its own topic, right? But definitely at the time, charging the same amount uh, for like a booster pack of digital product than than paper is just like come on what are laughable you yeah laughable I, I i wish that uh, god there are just so many of these models where it's like can't you just do this cheaper and like get more people and i i just don't understand um i i have no answer for you money good i think that's what you need to understand and, I and know, people want it but- but like Moto just had like 3000 people at all times. And it's like magic even back then was so big and the competitive player base was pretty big too. And I think that there were a lot of things that they could have done to get more people to, to buy into it. But well, the, the rental service argument is certainly like a very, very big one, right? Cause look how successful it is now that to me, that seems to be like the main way of engaging with magic online. Uh, so that's something where I'm willing to say, what if it was just a complete subscription model from the beginning? What would have happened? Yeah, I don't know. Very I interesting mean, question. I, I don't think my subscription would have ever lapsed. No, I don't think so. I, I would have paid for the last 20 years, probably. Yeah. All right. Fifth place. X-Whale. Hammer. Yeah, unfortunately, no notes here. X-Whale with a, a big weekend in the challenges, I believe winning uh, the, the standard challenge as well with a cool looking... Azorius soldier list, but as far as modern, basically the same deck. Yeah, very similar. Uh, as far as modern, though, just playing it stock again, like most of the competitors this week, bringing a Manriki Gusari to the table in the sideboard, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I, no real notes on Hammer, a deck that certainly rewards mastery. You see a lot of the same people succeed with it over and over. Pretty easy to understand why. Yeah, this is kind of like one of the. OG decks for X-Whale, I think. I think this is one of the things that he got known for, you know, similar to the tutors. So one thing I will note, three copies of Moth Nexus in your Colossus Hammer combo deck. People started with four. They just started with four all the time. This is one of those things where I really appreciate this. And this is not new. This has been a thing for, I don't know, six months at this point where people have shaped an Moth Nexus. But like, it's 
it ties back into the Archon of Cruelty discussion where it's just like, look, you can just do a little bit less of this stuff because mm-hmm. it's pretty bad on average. And I think shaving a Nexus, getting like the extra colored source in there does make a big enough deal that it's good. It's worth doing. I'm respecting people that do it. It is. I think it's just like very smart and it's just like, you know, the second persist or maybe the, the fourth dwarven mine or whatever, where I think that deck was missing like a few of those tweaks, you know, it's, it's kind of like, let's, let's just start with the idea and do all the things that we want to do. And then we'll figure out like what's actually correct later. Well, this hammer deck is at the point where it has the correct numbers in it. You know what I mean? Going back to a theory we talked about a while ago on the podcast, it's about minimum effective dose. Like how can you get this angle into your deck at the lowest cost? Where does it change your matchup percentage? You know, where do you get 95% of the benefit and you're willing to leave the last 5% of the benefit on the table for a payoff of better mana or an additional sideboard slot? I think it's a really, really important question. And one of the things that separates a masterful deck builder from a good deck builder is figuring out that minimum effective dose. Yeah. And I can't really think of a matchup that would necessarily come down to this for a lot of reasons, but there is an instance too, where you could just sideboard the fourth ink moth. If the matchup was so dependent on you having like that quick combo killer or whatever. Yeah. I'm having a hard time at, envisioning where i'm, I'm saying in theory right want like to do that yeah but yeah you know you're you're right i mean that those are the type of things you have to explore as a deck builder is like is this other angle still available to me in a different way like do i actually want this in all matchups or is it a niche thing that is a very good question to always be asking yourself when it comes to your four ofs yeah i mean the texture of this deck and its matchups where you're killing people with artifacts and enchantments and stuff is that people are going to side in things like force of vigor against you yep. Which, which makes that plan less likely. But you know what I mean? Where it's like, I just need to be super fast in this matchup, you know? And like, I, I don't necessarily want this thing in my main deck because it's halfway dead in a lot of instances. Just having like the third color so- colored source isn't, or colorless source is not super relevant. So maybe it's just better living in the sideboard. But yeah, based, based on the fact that it's like an artifact deck, it makes that less likely. But that's just one of those things that could come up. Here is a related question for you. And it's Hit your, me. Fav- your favorite kind of question, one with incomplete information that is almost impossible to answer. Yep, love so it. I, I know you appreciate that. You see a basic land in a sideboard. Do you generally see this as like a mark of a good deck builder? Or is it a little try hard to you? And and maybe there's something else going on there. There was definitely a period where it was either they misregged and got a game loss and had to add a basic land. Okay. Which, you know, been there. But during that period, I, I think that it it had to have been good. And then I think that at some point that idea kind of like came back and people started doing it more for bad reasons. I don't think it's a hundred percent one way or the other. In general, I would lean good. And the reason for that is that even just sideboarding a land in general is not a thing that a lot of people even think about. It's just not a thing that crosses their mind, period. So if someone has thought about it and then also gone through the effort of like actually doing it, to me, it shows that at least there has been thought put into it. I agree. And I think that is like 90% of the battle in sideboarding, it shows me that you are making a coherent plan. You were thinking right. uh, beyond just like this card destroys artifacts and there's artifacts decks in the format. So in general, it points me towards someone who's thinking on a higher level. I do agree with you. There's a moment where it sort of warped back around and it became just like a look how smart I am type thing. Um, but in general, if I see it, I, I generally expect more from that deck builder. Yeah. And I think in a lot of instances I can figure out why they're doing it and what they thought about. And then also I can figure out whether or not it's correct or not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, given, given the question, I would say that I have to lean in a direction, but I would be able to figure it out pretty quickly. Sure. So I don't know. Let's, let's go to this next deck. Sixth place. Digitech wire. Karuga elementals. 
and they have a Baseju who endures in the sideboard, which I think is not super weird. It's especially less weird when you have red and six, but since this deck is Karugiing, you can't, right? Yeah. But Baseju is one of those things where it's a little bit more common to see like a land in the sideboard because this is not really a land. It's it's a disenchant, right? But it's it makes it kind of like blurs the lines a little bit. Where yeah. even I don't know, even with Baseju and even in decks with Ren and Six, I think it did not necessarily cross the mind of people to like, oh, I'll just sideboard another Baseju or whatever, right? But it, it is becoming more common and kind of blurring the lines where like now it is acceptable practice. So you bring up basic land specifically, I think is a better way to ask the question for sure. And then I don't know, there's so many things where it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, blood moon or wasteland in vintage legacy type of stuff, right? Like it made a lot of sense to have the basic. There was a lot of utility there. Yep. Yeah. I'm just a big fan of like hedges that manifest in unique ways. And whenever I can find them, because the edges in magic in deck building are often very small in gameplay. They get larger for the most part, but I, th- I think in deck building, it is those small tweaks that can really pay you over the course of a tournament. So very fascinated by them. I'm drawn to them in general. Yeah. It's uh, the, th- the thing that I felt the most rewarded by mm-hmm. is just like, how do I get access to this third kind of like disenchant thing or like another way to deal with creatures that isn't just playing a shock or whatever. And doing things like sideboarding beside you, where, well, now you have an extra mana source potentially, but like this thing is uncounterable. You know, it's got a lot going for it, and you get to that place by sideboarding a land, which feels like a waste. But no. it's not. It's not. I. I. That's that's the thing you have to reset. I believe is like get over the idea that this thing is a waste, and then you open up a lot more possibilities. You know, I just figured out the controversial topic we could have done. Uh, we we could have talked about the storm scale article that was completed this week from Mark Rosewater talking about the mechanics of the past year. We could have done like a two part review, all the mechanics type deal. But Ah. unfortunately I think that article has crossed the line for me to something I used to really look forward to, to something I now view as disingenuous. And I, I think it's just, it's too revisionist and it's presenting of the information it's putting forth. And, uh, not working for me anymore. Shit, man. How much time? Yeah, we got plenty of time. Okay, let's let's bang out these two decks. These last two decks. And then we'll talk about that. Okay. We're not reviewing all the mechanics. Okay. Seventh place. You like this green name. Cigarettes after Shrek. Okay, look. It's not that I like it. It's just you, you go through enough of these screen names and they all kind of like blend together. And when you see one that just like makes you pause for a second, you're like, huh, what's going on there? I appreciate it. That's what I that's what I would say. Yeah. Is this the exact same as X Whales list? No, the sideboard is a little different. I think the main deck may be spot on though. No, it's missing a uh, a ginger brute. No, it's there. It's just in a different place. Oh, in a different spot, of course. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Anyway, hammer time. Yeah, more hammering. Uh, it does appear to be very, very close, if not exactly the same in the main deck. Sideboard differences for sure, but. Nothing else to say about that hammering. Keep doing it if you've been doing it. Probably getting rewarded for it. Wall of Spikes, eighth place. Goblins, three copies of Thran Vigil. This is one B enchantment. Whenever one or more artifacts and or creature cards leave your graveyard during your turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So this is another combo piece, potentially, right? Putrid Goblin. Yep. And Skirk Prospector and whatnot. So, all right. Yeah, persist stuff. I mean, I, it got a lot of headlines upon release, things like Kitchen Finks. And you know, there's obviously a lot of looping you can do. Goblins, weird deck, man. We we actually talked about Goblins probably more on this show than it deserves, given how well it has done. Because it's interesting. Throughout its time in modern. It, it, is, it is interesting. I agree with you. It's, it's very strange in its goals. It's got a lot of plans. And now Thran Vigil almost adding yet another angle. And nothing cuts to the core of like how long all this shit takes. That's what it all just comes back to. It's the same question over and over. And I guess it's like Goblins 101 is – and then maybe Ether Vile Dex 101 is just like you need some time. You don't do a lot on your first few turns. And like does the format give you permission to do that? Ultimately, that's what's going to decide your success 
or failure, not how many different branching combos you have, what your beatdown plan looks like. Like that's that's all good. And I do believe it continues to improve for goblins. And I do believe there's other options with goblins, but ultimately it's a question of format pace more than anything that dictates whether this deck can succeed or not. Yeah. I like that this is oddly one of the decks that can take the best advantage of Orvar because yeah. it is a change. Get that tribal you synergy, can, yeah. Yeah, you can just like ringleader or matron into it and it's like ah. So there's only one in the sideboard. I don't know if that means you should play more or fewer copies, you know? It's a good question. Good question. But, uh, you know, there's not there's not a lot of ringleaders, and I understand the theory of, like, oh, you can matron for it, but it's also kind of nice to just have it and not have to show it to them. Yeah, you could, you could talk me into more copies in this deck. I mean, if you can justify it elsewhere, just being, like, the generic beat up this archetype, here where you actually do get some broader payoff, why not? All right, that's modern. Tell me about this storm scale crap. Well, all right. So here's what I'll say about the storm scale. And to me, it used to be a a very real check on like the health, the goals of magic design. And I always like to be clear when talking about like Mark Rosewater's stuff. I think maybe there's nobody more important to my own growth as a designer than Mark Rosewater. A lot of respect for him. I think probably the most indispensable person for magic throughout its history, short of Richard Garfield at this point. And this isn't to like take away from his knowledge or honestly his greatness as a designer. It's just very, very impressive. Oh shit. Now, hold on a second. Sorry, I derailed myself. Because when you look at the bracket for this top eight, it's not the same as what's presented in these deck lists. According to this, this event was won by cigarettes after Shrek. Oh no. The decklists are messed up. I think I think we've gotten duped by the Magic Online decklists. After I sung their praises too, they have now gone and made our show look like a complete mockery. Oh no. Well, you're right, Gerald. It was a bad show. I mean, what what can we say at this point? Just completely flawed in its premise. I mean, to be fair, everything was wrong. It's not like we were placing a ton of emphasis on what won versus what was in top eight or whatever. We're mostly just talking about the decks. I think that's fine. But to talk about like how all the deckless stuff is fixed and, oh, the website is better now or whatever. And then that happens. It's like, oh, well, that's that's not great. It was a hammer mirror in the finals uh, one buy cigarettes after Shrek, it appears. So scratch all that previous analysis, really focus on what we were saying about the decks. That was the key takeaway. I never, I never look at the bracket. I mean, either. I only was, well, I was scrolling up because I was going to go try and find this article uh, as reference. And then I just happened to glance over the bracket real quick. And I'm like, well, that's not right whatsoever. So I don't know, Gerald, I'm, I'm deflated now. Anyway, what I was saying about this, this storm scale it's designed to review mechanics, talk about their successes, failures. I really have some issues with how many of these mechanics were presented this go around. A lot leaning on player popularity, which is, first of all, very, very difficult to accurately interpret. Uh, I, I know they use a lot of you know, market research and things like that. Market research is... Very multiple. That's all I'll say about it. It has its place. It's useful. I wouldn't ever draw any conclusions from it. But on the whole, there were some things that really stood out to me. Things like the double-faced modal cards just being spoken of as like a, a rain success. And they were interesting. They they brought things to the table. But to not acknowledge the sheer cost in just words and reading and comprehension and difficulty and understanding what a card does i mean i you know i lost a pptq top eight to not knowing what the backside of a modal double face card did to say nothing of how when you split types the way these cards did there's so much bleed that happens and so many things that happen in ways that i would say are not good for the game like things like the belcher deck is kind of it's kind of gross that that exists. Honestly, I don't see it as a huge positive. Yes. Things like things like Pestilent Cauldron being able to be tutored up by Karn. I, I think that sucks too. It's just like this weird, bizarre quirk of rules. And I, I think the 
Double face modal cards were an interesting experiment. They were one that I would have done once, quickly gotten away from and been like, we probably got away with one there. Really interesting what they brought to the table in the moment. But the fact that we didn't have 52 land decks rampaging through standard probably got a little lucky with our balance, quite frankly, because that's a really, really hard thing to figure out. To say nothing of the warping fact it could have on older formats, which mostly they don't care about at this point. They just let whatever happens there happen, but it still looks bad. And I, I wouldn't call the modal double face cards a success by any metrics. And they were pretty positively reviewed in the storm scale that going along with like the first part and talking about the companion mechanic. I, I just am kind of off this concept right now. And some of it is just general erosion of trust and like worrying that most of what I get at this point out of these type of things is marketing speak and not actual analysis of the state of magic and where it's headed, which is what I used to trust these figureheads for for a very long time. It's not there for me anymore. And it's disappointing because I look forward to these articles every year. And I look forward to a lot of what Mark shares. I think just like I said, a brilliant source of design. And for whatever reason this year, it did not resonate the same way with me. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that a little bit because it, it is weird to have Rosewater, like pretty soon after all the set releases, just talk about like how they built the set or whatever. It's just like you're you're giving away your secrets for free. And I know that there were granted this was a long time ago, but like people inside Wizards were like concerned about that. Or it's like, oh, like, you know, aren't you just gonna be like helping our competition or whatever? And it's like, I mean, yeah, I guess. Yep. But, but like help this, me help me a lot I'll, I'll be i'll be frank yeah see i mean that's that's the thing though is like yes it does but i i don't know i mean you can obviously make an argument for keeping as much possibility for capital like in the building as you possibly can just like oh we can't give away our secrets or whatever or it's just like you could put like net good shit out into the world and then give other people the tools to like make cool things. Or when you do stuff like talk about what goes into making, making a magic set, it probably means that you're going to have a wider pool of people to hire from in the future. That's a good way of looking at it. And I mean, do you look at like the great designer search and like all the good people that came out of that and everything, you know? Or just like the people who were like pro tour players, but we're still learning a bunch of game design stuff kind of on the side because of Rosewater or like friends yep. at R&D and everything like that, where it's like those people go on to make magic later. Like if they kept everything secret, how many people do you think like would be qualified to be working on magic right now? That's a, that's a cool way of looking at it. I, I honestly never really thought about it like that, but even in my own personal experience, you know, and I, I never went to work for Wizards full time, but it was certainly on the table for a long period of time. And a lot, like I said, a lot of what I know about the process of design comes from Mark sharing that stuff. And I also think at this point, they are so, their brand is so big and so monolithic, monolithic. they don't have a lot to fear. And I, I say that as like someone who's working for a competitor, like, you know, it would be great if someday flesh and blood overtakes magic. But I, I don't even think that if that happens, it would be like they had flesh and blood had cut into their sales. It's just people who were like done with magic, looking for something else and moved on. It, it's it's never felt like a stealing thing to me. Like you could only do one or the other. It's just like make good games and let people find their home. And magic's reach is so, so tremendous. And their branding so wide at this point that they – I think they can just share whatever they want and they really don't have much to fear. Yeah. But I mean, that that's also the other thing is like they did share all this stuff for over 20 years. And what happened? Nothing game. Other games have come and gone come and gone and right? they've only gotten bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think a, a lot of those games could have benefited from like reading more of Marrow's stuff. I agree with you 100%. And yeah, that's why I, I always like to preface whenever I'm going to kind of poo-poo something he's putting out there. It's just such an invaluable source of knowledge. And if, if you want to make an argument, somebody really deserves some of that money that they are mining right now, you would be very high at the top of my list, putting forth 
tremendous design ideas for literally decades. That's a huge, huge ask of anyone. Yeah, you would think that, you know, you would run out at some point. And certainly a lot of it is maybe not as elegant as it used to be or whatever, because a lot of that stuff has been mined already. But I mean, just bottomless font of ideas, which is just always going to be incredible to me. But yeah, I mean, it's it, basically what I was getting at is like, yes, all these articles are just like such a fantastic resource for like anyone who is remotely interested in this sort of stuff. And they were worried about putting it out, especially like for free. Like, why would you just give this away for free? Like only they were worried about like only bad things can happen or whatever. And I think it actually did benefit them more than hurt them in a lot of different ways because the, I mean, there's also like a lot of sort of community goodwill, I think yeah. from yeah. all this stuff. And that's, Definitely non-zero. I think if you asked, you know, someone on the brand and marketing team or whatever, what they thought of it, they would just put a zero on it. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I I, I think it's just like net good, net positive, And it's maybe just one of the smartest things that they've done. And I think this is just like something that Mark wanted to do, you know? Yeah, that's the sense I get as well. I, I sense that he enjoys sharing this knowledge and, you know, wants to be that source of wisdom that really very few people on this planet have short of him for the entire community and uh, often succeeds at doing so. So, yeah. So my thing with the storm scale is I think the, the storm scale is silly and I know that's not necessarily meant to be taken literally where like storm is a 10 and it's a thing that we should never do again. And it is, all the stuff that is like wrong with magic, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, they, they've also like returned to storm in some instances, yep. not in like standard sets or whatever, but to, to that end, it's not supposed to be taken literally because obviously they recognize that if certain circumstances are correct, like we can go back and iterate on this thing. There are still knobs to turn, etc. where even literal storm on the storm scale is the thing that they could potentially go back to. Right. But at the same time, I think that it's just very silly to like use that as the indicator, even though like, I know it gets the point across, right? Like I think of all the times where you've like given me one to 10 like bullshit questions. I could just send you to the storm scale instead. Well, no, I mean like if you had a thing where it's like, Oh, you know, 10 is storm or whatever like that it's easier to accept and understand and whatever versus me having to say like, well, you know, like 10 would imply perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. And, you know, we have to go through all of this clarification of like what a seven means or like, can I do 7.5? Is that allowed? Blah, blah, blah. So it, there is some amount of like good communication going on here, but at the same time, like, He's, he's going through like all of this stuff and talking about how like I don't know, Boast, for example, where like Boast was not super popular because people looked at it like a downside where to them it was an attack trigger. You just have to pay mana for it. And that's like, you know, you get to use this when you want to use it. Right. But since people are like, oh, this thing has an ability, but I can't use it some of the time, then it looks like a downside. And it's like, that to me reads like you just learned a very valuable lesson. Yeah. Right. And it means that if you are going to do some mechanic like this in the future, there is a way to present it where it does look like upside and not downside, or at least like that is what you should be trying to convey with the mechanics you actually do put in a set where it's like, even if you have this thing that you think plays really well and is resonant with the rest of the set or block or, you know, world story theme, whatever you're doing, whatever is important presentation matters a lot. And it's just like, well, this was unpopular. People didn't like it. And I guess we're just never doing it again. I think that that's maybe not disingenuous, but it's like not the takeaway that you should be having. And I think that that's sort of the takeaway that you should be having with like storm in general is just, yeah, storm is like quote unquote bad for a lot of reasons, but like a lot of the reasons were just like all the storm cards were literally like, I don't do anything except kill you. Yeah. Like mine's desire tendrils later on, like grape shot. You know, it's just like we could, we could do 
reaping the graves type of storm stuff or like wing shards. I think wing shards. Like, yeah. Wing have, shards is always the one. Yeah. It's always the good example. And like, dude, like wing shard stuff, especially in goblins format where like war chief gave all your stuff haste and encouraged you to play it like main a that was interesting. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I think that was a really good application of it. Just yeah, like, your point yeah, there's very good. There are lessons to learn here and putting something on a scale of like 10, like we're never going to do this mechanic again is both false and maybe not the takeaway that you should be having. Right. So it's like, that's my problem with this, but I, I get that the presentation is not necessarily supposed to encapsulate everything. Right. And I think that even going through and reading the boast thing, it was apparent that they learned a lesson from the presentation and like how they did it and everything. But I, yeah. I agree with like a lot of the stuff that you're saying too about the, the modal DFCs, for example, right? Like they're like, Oh, it was popular, but like he, he's also talking about a lot of the downsides where, you know, sometimes you just might not remember what's on the back of your card. And that's awkward. The fact that there are different card types in that, creates weird rules interactions and dude there was so much stuff that like had to be clarified right tons yeah tons and tons of stuff and it, it broke a bunch of formats i mean you know you can look at uh valky right like that 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 broke modern for a period of time and you can argue that cascade is what broke it but still it it messed things up and a lot of that was based on just the weirdness and elegance of that interaction the other one that stands out a lot is is party and just kind of uh, shitting on the party mechanic. And I, I, I do think the party mechanic kind of sucks and is sort of irredeemable, but you can't have that discussion and just be like, well, people hated party when the main complaint I heard around party was you can't do this. It doesn't work. Right. It, like there's not enough support. It's not good enough. Yep. So I, I think the conclusion there is like ultimately the correct conclusion. I agree with the takeaway that party sucks and you shouldn't do it again but the reasons presented didn't feel really spot on to me. And if you're not acknowledging sort of like your hand in maybe not supporting the mechanic as well as you could have, then it's hard for me to buy into your presentation of the rest of the stuff. 100%. Also, it's funny to me because party is a thing that is, it shouldn't be resonant with magic players. It should be a thing that like is resonant with D and D players. Right. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be a surprise. Like, Oh, people didn't like party, especially when you literally couldn't do the party thing because right. all it the cards were, were toned down. Right. So yeah, that's, that's the other thing is just like doing the, so you, you, you do the uh, sourcing of feedback and whatnot, and you end up with all this data. And then the takeaways that you have from that data end up being things like, Oh, people didn't like party. So the mechanic sucks versus like, well, you could just literally never achieve the thing that was printed on the card because the cards were not very good. I mean, I, that's a good takeaway, but like if you're just interpreting the data, it's just like, Oh, people don't like this mechanic. I think that that's a net negative for you too. So you need someone who can actually like sift through the data and like find out why it didn't work because that matters. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's really hard to get takeaways from consumer response data and you need to know when to embrace it when to look away from it really really hard stuff and i i just got the sense that these articles did a better job of presenting all of the angles better in the past but maybe i was just naive maybe i look at things differently now i don't know maybe maybe you're more tuned in now than you were at various points over the last couple of decades maybe you have like more game designery stuff under your belt or whatever Maybe there's just like way more going on at Wizards and Mark doesn't have as much doesn't time. Doesn't have the time. These. Yeah, well, he designed 40 million cards this year. I, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. So there, there could be a lot of reasons. You know, it's like I don't necessarily want you to now look back unkindly or like less than fondly on this stuff, these things that you used to enjoy just because like this set of articles this year was not something that you enjoyed as much previously or whatever. It's like, yeah, give it, give it a couple more shots and see how you feel. Like if it continues mm -hmm. to kind of like not deliver on your expectations, then I get it. But I don't know for, for me, it's just like the whole concept is sort of ridiculous, but there are, there are a lot of things like that that people do, or it's like, you know, making 
tearless or whatever, where I'm just like, come on, you know, this isn't really helpful or whatever, but it does, it does convey a point, you know, you make your tier list or your top 10 list or whatever. And I, I get it. I understand why that is easily consumable by people. So Gerald, on a scale of one to 10, Shut up. how would you say this podcast went? Uh, see, now I need to make clarifications. <laughs> it's just hilarious because every time, like, you should almost know it's coming, but every time I do it, I break your brain. It's just, you just short circuit immediately. Because oh, I hate it and you know I hate it. Solid six for this episode. See, I think I, I give everything a seven, basically, right? You drop a lot of sevens. That is your default answer. I do drop a lot of sevens. That's that's sort of where I live, man. That's my life, my Constant mindset. Seven. Yeah. I would say six, but I think other people might think differently. I don't know. There were there are some good moments here, I think. We'll, we'll do some market research. We'll come back. We'll analyze whether we're going to do shows like this again based on, you know, whether people liked it or not. <laughs> what is what is like the nut low podcast for us for our storm scale? Oh, wow. I would, I would have to think very carefully about that. I'm, I'm sure act- we've just I had don't it. actually want to know because I don't want to think about it. It's it's probably just like a bad top 10 list. But like at the time, it was probably still an entertaining show. So maybe that's not even true. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what our bad show is. Our absolute worst. Yeah. And I, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Yeah. Seriously, no. this, is, this is not me saying, oh, yeah, open the door. Everyone come out on Twitter and tell me the shows they really hated over time because – I promise you my mental state does not need that. Uh, mine mine certainly doesn't because I may I may operate in a state of seven, but I, I assure you I'm not there currently. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, cool. Modern. A bunch of like boring decks in, in all honesty, but that's fine. You know, uh, I think people are pretty happy if like modern kind of stays the same a little bit, a little bit of spice. It needs to for a little while right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of happenings, you know, and I'm sure that next week, modern horizons, three previews are going to start or whatever. And it's just like, God damn it. But for now, yeah, we could, we could use a little uh, consistency. What's, what's the thing as a kid, stability, you need stability, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, the thing that you need as a kid that I didn't have that really messed me up. Yeah, that thing, stability. We need that. Yeah. I mean, we still have a few months till Gandalf takes over the format, so don't worry about it. Mm, true. Uh, and then, yeah, we got, to, we got to talk about a little bit of... This wasn't like a lot of Twitter drama or whatever, right? The storm scale thing, but... Nah. And I think nah. that you were coming at it from a different angle than everyone else, too, so... Yeah, just a, just a little discourse for your afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you're consuming this. But yeah, man, so overall, it's like, it's not a bad episode. Not not a great episode, not a banger. Just covered some, some bad decks and some bad drama. So step up your drama game, Magic World. We need better for next week. <laughs> oh man, The never- decks we can live without, we'll do whatever with those, but step up the drama game. It was the holidays. It's understandably a slow that's week. That's true. People Everyone were, deserves a break. People were doing stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it. Game. Game. Good luck.